Good morning, everybody. I thank you to Brad for that uh, prayer and testimony, and uh, our newest member at Second Prayers, and and uh, <laughs> and. On a day like today, we want to say thank you for your service to our country as well in protecting our freedom. I want you to please turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 3. <clears throat> and I know it's true of you as it is with me that it's very hard to think of anything except what is uh, so disturbingly occurring in our world, uh, the invasion in Ukraine, and on this beginning of our missions conference, we're praying for missionaries. We have in Russia who is asking us to pray for his sons who are being conscripted into the Russian army. And we're praying for Ukraine where uh, all of my uh, adult life been a part of supporting seminary work and the church building in Ukraine. Uh, some of you in the room may have been there. Dan Burns has certainly been there. My friend Paul Koistra, Richard Watson started that seminary. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pastors trained to go um, uh, throughout Ukraine, into Siberia, other places. And it's actually in reflecting with great concern on those brothers and sisters who have been trained in that seminary whose lives are surely in danger now. I remembered when we first, they first started that work and we were helping to um, uh, rebuild the church there out of which the, the seminary and uh, other ministries would uh, work. It's a church in Kiev. And it was a Reformed church, historically a Reformed church, and, and um, it had a steeple but no cross on it. And uh, as uh, the team was rebuilding it, uh, they were restoring the organ, putting the pews back in, and so forth. Somebody said, uh, you know, I think we used to have a cross on top of the steeple. And uh, somebody climbed up on the roof and found the cross in the gutter. They had, uh, the communists had sawed the cross off, and they just threw it on the roof, and it slid down and got caught in the gutter. It had been there for 50-some years. And so they got the cross and they welded it back on top of the, the steeple. And uh, Paul Koistra, who preached that uh, opening service for that, for that church, said they thought they had removed the cross. The cross never goes away. That, uh, they thought they had removed Christ, but Christ still reigns. And... <clears throat> That's what I have to to uh, stand on, and I encourage you to do the same today. Jesus said, there will be forever wars and rumors of war. Nation will rise against nation. These things must not surprise you, he said. And so we, we think, well, what are we doing here studying about peacemaking on a day like this? <clears throat> it's the kind of thing Jesus told us to do. You... These wars are going to continue because humanity is still sinful. But here's what you do, he says, in effect. You keep the cross of Christ in front of you. You pursue peacemaking because 
as I pursue the gospel in you, I'm doing radical things around this world that are more powerful than what comes through on the terrifying news as we've encountered. And regardless of what's happening in this invasion in Russia, there is a strong and vibrant church of the Lord Jesus Christ in Ukraine. And they're suffering what Jesus promised. They're suffering, they will be suffering for their faith. But Christ will be triumphant. We've been studying the book of Revelation here. Jesus wins. That's the story. So today, would you help me in your faith as I teach by faith, trying to keep my eyes on the cross as well, to say these are the things that we must focus on. These implications of the gospel are what we must focus on. This is where, where real transformative power occurs, and this is ultimately undermining of every other evil power. Amen? Right. We begin reading in James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. Before we do, I need to give you a little orientation to the book of James. Of course, we're studying characteristics of biblical manhood. The Bible, not most of the Bible, is not addressed gender specifically. So, um, uh, don't worry. Women are not exempt from peacemaking. Uh, we are obligated to peacemaking, that's true, women are too, but today it's, we are focused on biblical manhood and on those characteristics of, of men who are called to lead in their homes, in their, in their churches, and uh, to be the chief sacrificers in this world in following the steps of Jesus. And here is one of those essential characteristics to being a biblical man, that is, that is to be a peacemaker, one who makes and pursues peace. So we come to it in James chapter 3. Why? Because this is really the theme of the whole book of James. When we dive into a book like this, it's helpful to get the context of it. James is a brother of our Lord. He came to Christ, we presume, after the resurrection of Christ, wasn't a follower of Christ when Jesus was walking on the earth. James then becomes a significant leader in the church and writes this epistle to a church or a group of churches in Rome, <clears throat> and uh, they, are, they are genuine churches. How do we know that? Because they're fussing. They're fussing at each other. They're fussing with their pastors. Their pastors are fussing with them. Uh, and they have uh, multiple divisions in their congregation. They're having, they're having political disputes. They are uh, they're battling elitism regarding uh, the rich and the, uh, the, the uh, elites of their day is more important than the poor. He challenges them to, to do, practice true religion by focusing on the poor, the orphan, the widow. There's bitter jealousy. There's a party spirit. They have, uh, they're neglecting prayer. It's a real church, a New Testament church. And James leans into these problems, and there's a, the, the, the overriding problem of the whole church is one of divisiveness. They're infighting. And so he starts out the epistle by saying, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. So everything I'm going to tell you is from Jesus and is pushing you toward Jesus, including and especially the work of peacemaking. So with that context in mind, we pick up in verse 13 of James chapter 3. 
Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's uh, pray together, brothers, and ask the Lord to open this passage to us. Oh, Lord, would you open our eyes that we might see the beautiful, transformative things of your gospel in this passage. Yes, Lord, convict us. These words will cut us. But we pray that as you cut us, as the, as the divine physician, you would cut in order to heal and make us healers with our words, peacemakers like Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was a relatively young pastor. I had a man in my church who's a little bit younger than I am, and he was a leader of a major marketing firm there in St. Louis, and he was a very gentle man, very wise uh, businessman. Uh, he was smooth. You know a smooth person? You know, never rankles you. You just can't help but like him as he I mean, brought people together. He was just a very, very good man, very dynamic Christian, and uh, uh, very, very good at bringing people together. Well, our, our boys were on a travel baseball team together, and, and something came up with the, <clears throat> with the coach and he, uh, my friend, who is really skillful in mediation and skillful in problem solving, picked up the phone, called the coach and said, hey, Todd, I just want to point out to you thus and so, and he had every confidence that it was going to go like most every other conversation in his life, and it completely went in the tank. Uh, uh, Todd reacted to it just uh, uh, viciously, and it was an ugly uh, abusive conversation. Well, my friend shared it with me, and he, he practically had tears in his eyes, and I said, that, no, that's a terrible thing. That's a terrible thing that, that uh, happened with you. I can't believe Todd treated you that way. This is not Todd Erickson. This is St. Louis, not any Todd that you would know. But uh, <clears throat> uh, I said, it's a terrible thing that Todd would treat you that way. And my friend with the tears in his eyes said, no, it was my fault. I said, what are, you, what are you talking about is your fault? You called to explain a situation, you proposed a solution, and he took it all completely wrong. He said, it was my fault because I did not pray before I made that call. I didn't pray for the Holy Spirit to give me words. I didn't pray for the Holy Spirit to bring peace in that conversation. Well, now I'm the pastor. 
He's the elder. So what was I supposed to say? Right. I thought of that too. But I didn't. I was really convicted. I was a bit confused by it. Well, you know, of course you pray all. You pray that morning in your devotions. You pray all the time. But praying for the Holy Spirit to bring, oh, that's right. That's right. That's a biblical concept. That's exactly what James tells us to do. It's not obvious on the text, on the surface of the text. But when you understand James, which I hope to unfold to you, when you understand the way wisdom and the Holy Spirit relate in the book of James, you'll understand that that's exactly what James is teaching. That we must pray, if we're going to be peacemakers, we must pray for wisdom. If we're going to be peacemakers, we must pray for wisdom. I'm not telling you, you need to go out there and be peacemakers. Go out there today and make peace. That is what we need to do, but you're never going to be able to do it in your own resources. We pray for the Spirit to give us wisdom which will make us peacemakers. Well, what kind of peace? What kind of peace? We have to understand how peace functions in the book of James. Uh, it, it occurs in three spots. James chapter 1, verse 5 through 8. Would you look at that with me? James chapter 1, verses 5 to 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and stable in all his ways. Now, <clears throat> why was he telling the people to ask for peace in chapter 1? Because in verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials. So apparently you can't go through trials, endure through trials, be faithful through trials without wisdom. Whatever this wisdom is in James You've got to have it to endure trials. You're going through trials today, you need wisdom. How are you going to get that? Well, we'll find out as we study the rest of this passage. There's another place in James uh, where he addresses uh, wisdom, and that is in verses 16 through 18 of chapter 1. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Now you say, well, Robertson, there's no wisdom in that passage. You got the wrong verse. No, that's the verse that relates to the one that we're reading. Because you notice that he says, you have to have the gift of wisdom that comes down from above. Chapter 3, verse 15. And what did he say in chapter 1? Every good and perfect gift comes down from above. Who is that person of the Trinity who comes down from above after the ascension of Jesus? Pentecost, the Holy Spirit. So every good and perfect gift, especially wisdom, James says, comes by means of the personal agency of the Holy Spirit coming into your life, into my life, 
into a situation that we're involved in, and His work is to bring peace. The Holy Spirit's work is to bring peace. He's been doing that since creation. Remember, all things were in chaos, and the Spirit hovered over, brooded over the creation and brought order. This is what wisdom is. This is what wisdom is in the book of James. It is the Holy Spirit coming into our lives, into our situation and making order and peace. That's the way wisdom functions in his book. Let me tell you three things before we jump into verse-by-verse exposition, three characteristics of wisdom in the book of James. We've just looked at them in these passages. Number one, it comes down from above. It is a gift of God to the Christian. We're accustomed to saying, you know, that's a wise person. And usually in our circles, it means he makes good decisions. He knows when to invest, when not to, when to sell his commodities and when to hang on to them. But that's not, this, this is, that, that may be a smart person, but a wise person is one who is gifted with it by the Holy Spirit. IQ might not be very high. You may not have much uh, material achievement, but he is, his mind is characterized by being led by the Holy Spirit. Number two, so it's a gift of God. Number two, it cannot be searched out, it must be prayed for. You're not going to get it by being smarter, by memorizing the Bible even. The Bible is useful, yes, but it works by and with the Spirit. A lot of people know a lot of Scripture, but it doesn't change them. And number three, number three, according to James, peace or wisdom, wisdom has community-preserving virtues. Wisdom has community-preserving virtues. The distinguishing characteristic of wisdom is the, the person who possesses this wisdom from the Holy Spirit is one who brings people together, is not constantly at the hub of controversy. So it's a gift of God, must be prayed for, as community-preserving virtues. All of that is introduction then to understanding exactly what he's teaching here in verses 13 to 18, and I just have two points. The wisdom that is from above, the wisdom that comes by the gifting of the Holy Spirit, uh, the wisdom that, that characterizes peacemakers does two things. It resists, feverishly resists disunity And number two, it releases the Holy Spirit. Look at verses 14, 13 through 15. This uh, this wisdom that is from above, uh, that creates peacemakers, resists disunity. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Now, that's an introductory That's the introductory uh, line to the whole passage. I'm talking about the person who is wise and understand. How do you know who he is? He's the one who is characterized by meekness and wisdom, essentially the same thing 
this wisdom that brings people together. But, verse 14, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. So James demonstrates to us what it means, first of all, to be a peacemaker. And to be a peacemaker, it means you feverishly resist disunity. Peacemaking is not passivity. Peacemaking is not always speaking gently and never rankling anybody's feathers. But it is rather when there is divisiveness, you take peace to it, which sometimes involves strong words. Divisiveness, uh, James teaches us in verse 14, arises from a self-focused heart. Why are some people constantly connected to divisiveness? When does divisiveness occur? Whether it's a pattern, whether it's occasional, it always occurs and and arises out of a self-focused heart. If your focus is on the peace of the community, the good of the community, serving other people, you will not be a divisive person. James has very strong things to say as he confronts this sin in these Roman churches. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or be false to the truth because this is not the wisdom that comes from above but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every vile practice. This word that is translated jealousy probably should better be translated harsh zeal. Harsh zeal or rivalry. Jealousy uh, we can sometimes dismiss as, oh yeah, that's that's a petty emotion. I would never be a jealous person. But actually, jealousy is not the best translation. It's really harsh zeal. It's, it's to be fired up about something and to be so passionate about it, even something that is, that is good, but you are harsh in the way you carry it out. Strident, bitter, rigid, prideful. These are people who may be on the, on the right side of things, but the way they express them always is angular, prickly, domineering, critical. Second characteristic of this divisiveness is selfish ambition, which is, could be translated a party spirit. See a similar thing in Galatians chapter 5, verse 20, 2 Corinthians 12, 20. You see it especially in the Corinthian correspondence where people are constantly breaking up into parties. Uh, little groups. Little groups that find themselves talking to each other constantly because they all believe the same thing. And they all talk to each other and believe the same thing because they believe the right thing. We call it an echo chamber when we're describing somebody else in it. When we're doing it, we're just telling the truth the way it is, right? But a party spirit is not one. A party spirit is when when you find yourself constantly talking to the same people and you're hearing the same Uh, reassuring comments of your prejudices all the time, you can be assured that that's selfish ambition. 
And it arises, he says, from your hearts. Here they were prone to say, no, it's really, it's really these outward circumstances. It's, this out, it's, these, it's these teachers that we have, or it's that other group over there in the church. But James says, no, the problem is in your hearts. A spirit of division arises from your heart. It's not because, you know, even if you are in the right and the other person is in the wrong, if you persist in being separated from that person, that's a manifestation of your selfish ambition because the gospel is constantly pushing us toward each other, not into party divisions. And he says, you ultimately lie against the truth. What does he mean by that? He says, quit pretending that you're championing the cause of God. Quit, quit pretending that and just admit what is true. He says, effectively, repentance for the divisive person first requires telling the truth about yourself. Even if you're on the right side of the debate, as my friend on the phone was, he, he did have the right perspective. He was standing on a biblical principle. But healing of that relationship began with his repenting and saying, I should have, I should have led with the Holy Spirit. He could have hung up the phone and said, well, I'll never talk to him again because he didn't treat me the way I deserve or he's not on the right side of the issue. But instead, he didn't view himself as a victim. He viewed himself as the one with the with the, the powerful commodity, namely the Holy Spirit, that he did not put into practice. Divisiveness arises from a self-focused heart. The place each one of us, including the preacher, has to begin with today is, you know, I was born a divisive person because my heart is sinful. And every day, my natural disposition is divisiveness. That's true of every one of us. What is natural to us is divisiveness because what is natural to us is self-defense. So every one of us must begin this day saying, Holy Spirit, please bring wisdom, peacemaking to my heart. I repent of relying on myself and on my perspective. Divisiveness, he gets even stronger in verses 15 to 16. He says, actually, divisiveness, yes, it does arise from your heart, but the ultimate source of it is demonic. James doesn't pull any punches. He says this is not the wisdom that comes down from above. These things that are producing jealousy and ambition and disruption, that, that, that's, not, that's not from above. The heaven didn't bring that. Uh, jealousy and selfish ambition, not from above, because that which is uh, from above is the opposite. This is disorder and evil practice. And where does it come from? Verse 15, it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Earthly is a reference to anything that is other than heavenly Wisdom, it is purely pragmatic, or we could say it will only ever have temporal results. When the kind of wisdom and peacemaking we're looking for, we're not looking to paper over things, the peacemaking that we're looking for is that which will astound the world, that kind of reconciliation 
between people who are not supposed to get along with each other, and the world looks at it and says, hmm, you know, I didn't learn, I didn't learn that kind of mediation in law school. I, I didn't learn that kind of horse trading uh, from my dad. I, that, that is something that is mysteriously powerful. Divisiveness originates from hell. It's unspiritual. Uh, the, the person who constantly traffics in divisiveness is one who ultimately, they may be a Christian, but they don't have a Christian mind. There's a difference. It's one thing to profess a personal faith in Jesus Christ and be, you know, you're going to escape hell. It's another thing to be characterized by Christian thinking. So that your default is always, what does Jesus want me to do here? What are the biblical principles that must be put into place here? A biblical mind, a Christian mind, only comes from being in the Word as you men are, which I admire so much, and asking, Holy Spirit, use what I am learning to transform the way I think. That's, that, will, that will involve bearing the cross because thinking Christianly will put you out of step with the rest of the world. You will regularly have an opinion on something. You'll regularly approach a situation in which even perhaps the other Christians in the room will say, you know, that's just not, that's just not rational. I remember being in a board meeting once and we had to face a <clears throat> a tough situation in, in dealing with a, um, an executive that we had to remove from the organization. 